Yano Sego and Bojo Kwekwe Tansi, and good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. This morning in the studio, we have William Prince, singer-songwriter, Pegwa's First Nation. Welcome to the show. Thank you, David. How are you? I- I'm good, and I'm so glad you're here. Because Man, what, a, what a treat to come down here. This is a beautiful space you got. You know, I've been meaning to stop by. Go ahead and keep talking because I just like hearing your voice anyway. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. You know, uh, thank you for the invite and, you know, to come support Element and everything and have me be a part of it. I really do appreciate it. So listen, I got to tell you, when I first heard your music, uh, your voice, this baritone, natural you know, rich tone that comes out of there and, and, and hits you. It, it's, it's, it's a beautiful gift you've got there. You know, I, I, I give all credit to uh, the, the people before me. I, it was my grandfather and my dad's voice, and I'm just carrying around the, the most current installment of it. But they had deeper baritone voices than I do, a lot louder, too. They were mm. preachers, you know, mm. talking to folks and singing in choirs with no microphones way back in the day. So... Uh, that's the one thing, you know, my dad taught me about speaking, taught me about clarity and, you know, articulating your points and yourself because people will pretty much judge you and take you as serious as you present yourself in the world. And that could be academia, you know, that could be in business or in music. And so that was always before you hear any singing, you know, I try to set my intention with how you speak to be respected in the world kind of thing. And he was great at that. He was a big mouth. He talked to you forever. And, you know, he was a preacher and a chairman for AA and was always, you know, comfortable giving speeches and stuff. So I just kind of took that and ran with it. Well, that, that's really interesting. So can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Preachers uh, and and music? How much music was around in your family growing up? How many members of your family would like, you know, yeah, you know, my my dad was kind of the epicenter of it all because there was a guitar in the house because of him, and he had this whole history of loving Johnny Cash and Christopherson, Merle Haggard, all the old country western guys, you know, Willie Nelson. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents actually ran a DJ business where in Manitoba it's common to have a pre-wedding social, it's called, yeah. where you, you, know, you get your friends together and they all buy out the bar and do your silent auction and 50-50 tickets and help you raise money for your wedding and <laughs> someone has to play the music there. Right. So, you know, my dad would haul in this sound system and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that we had all these CDs and eight tracks, tapes and vinyl in the house and I would pick the most interesting cover and give it a listen for a bit and then when the babysitter would fall through, I'd end up at the socials themselves and, you know, hearing this music for the first time, uh, that was a huge part of my life, you know, and I unsuccessfully played gu- guitar when I was nine because I wanted to be like my dad and switched to piano. And then when he found his way back to the church and preaching, you know, naturally we just kind of led the, the country band together. So music was always there. So that's one thing to do covers and hear, you know, that kind of stuff going on. When did you, when did you find that you had more than that going on, that you wanted to start doing your own original stuff? Uh, it was a two-part process, really. I wasn't that much of a musician yet, but I actually started writing poetry when I was pretty young. You know, uh, I was always kind of fascinated by words and structure and, you know, diction and all those things and how you present things with a certain cadence or how uh, stanza or how 
the the building blocks to poetry you know how they work and translate to song quite well you know it's it's the same thing and in in some regards so i would spend my english class you know journaling and writing poems and what i thought were songs and eventually my musicianship started to pick up a little more and i would test the waters with you know corny little ballads and things like that and but everything led to an exercise of writing music and then you know, being familiar with the greats who write these songs, I guess it was kind of a subconscious thing because I wasn't like an active studier of song structure in the beginning, but I was just always familiar with music. So uh, they just turned those poems into something with an accompaniment. So did you find yourself drawn to the same kind of music that your dad was introducing you to, the country stuff, or, or did that expand and go into other areas? Yeah, for sure. You know, I... I was just discussing on the way over here, there was our, our, the rock band days, you know, where I started out with learning Metallica songs and <laughs> distortion pedals and mm. cool effects and mm. trying to be Kirk Hammett and all these greats, you know, listening to, you go through your, your creed and heavy, you know, alt rock phase and all that. And you want to learn these songs and you, we kind of just imitate the first thing we love. And that was it, you know, for me in high school to have a cover band with some friends and we we all liked it to different degrees and dedicated ourselves uh, appropriately I guess to where we are now mm. and uh, I just always I've always been a fan of songs and writing and words so you know that's how it led to me eventually writing my own stuff did just, you did you grow up specifically on Pegwis like we all your upbringing was on Pegwis or? Majority of it, yeah. We we lived in Selkirk, actually, which is a town near about an hour and a half away from Pegwis. Okay, because there's a and, Selkirk, Ontario as well. So. Yeah, uh, it's right on the Assiniboine River. It's actually okay. the original space uh, inhabited by Chief Pegwis and the first people mm. that make up the Pegwis First Nation now. Mm. So you take the two-hour trek north, and that's where the establishment in 1871 was set up when the Treaty 1 was drawn up between you know, Lord Selkirk moving those people from the Assiniboine, but Chief Peg was taking them, and then the Queen gets involved and all those other things, you know. How big of a community is Pegwis, like population-wise and, and, and area-wise? I think it's closing in on about 12,000 band members, but 7,000 people live on the reserve, mm. and you see the same 400 over and over again. So <laughs> right. it's pretty it's pretty cool how that works, you know? You get familiar. It's like a cast of a yeah, TV right. show. And <laughs> it's really great. I love Pegwis, you know? It's really, uh, it's where I got the most redeemable things about me are from that place, you know, my education and upbringing and being a part of that church community and sports, everything. Well, I, you, you, the reason I'm asking that is because of what you said earlier about your your um, your interest in poetry and in speaking and those kind of things. It's not something you generally hear from somebody being raised on the reserve, you know. Yeah. So that's why I was wondering, was that did that set you apart from other people? You know, that was a bit of a joint effort too because my dad and my mom kind of put the idea in my head that, you know, if you do really well in school, you can go to the band and basically have them, you know, pay your tuition and your books and they'll give you a living allowance so that you can rent an apartment in the city and eventually, you know, start your life. That's the that's the plan. That's what we hope for all the youth that come out of that community. Uh, it's different times for different people, all that you know, mm. some some go that way, some don't. Mm -hmm. But I was determined to get out of there. Uh, 
in a loving way, not like trying to escape, but I just, okay. I had plans for other things. I originally wanted to go into medicine. Mm. I pursued a degree in microbiome, ended up with a science degree, wrote my MCAT, didn't get into med school my first try when I was in university, and then uh, took a radio job, ended up working there. And this whole time, I was always writing songs since I was a kid, you know, and I didn't know what songs were going to be. I didn't even really conceptualize the idea that normal human beings like you and I can just go out and do music. Mm. You can set up a band and, you know, go play in a club. It's, it's if you come from the reserve, it's it's the mainstream stuff you hear on the radio or nothing else, mm. really, you know. But I had an idea from the church band and my rock band and when I came to Winnipeg and saw that normal people are making a living through music, like kind of gave me more hope and corrected my path in some way. You took medicine. Yeah. Wow. Well, I shouldn't, that's, I, I shouldn't mislead. Uh, I was trying to, you yeah. know, to the people that actually get in there and do it. It's quite the accomplishment, you know, it is, Mu- music and medicine are not 50, 50 careers. I've often said where mm. you can't, you know, you have to give your all because there are people fighting for those spots all the time. And I thought that by going into medicine, it would put me in a place of automatic respect. You know, this person is obviously intelligent. It's probably some wealth to him. A lot of people define you by those things. And so from that, there wouldn't be any question to my indigenous status, you know, coming into play because it's, it's, you know, there's a negative stigma, like, you know, the, the idea around like the homeless struggling substance abuse addicted people that come from you know surviving the effects of residential school passed down to them that's not even their fault because mm-hmm. their ancestors have been mistreated and right. abused and like that all circulates to this person on the street asking for money right. gives a bad impression to a, a lot so you know i was really that was presented to me early on in life that that might be something you're going to come into contact with and i didn't realize that that's racism when you're a kid, you know, and mm-hmm. then it gets explained to you later. And That's so right. I just didn't want there to be any question of my place in the world. And that was somebody who contributes to the community and works hard. And, you know, it's a blessing that music is what defines me in that way now. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I thank you for describing it in the way you did. Uh, I think that's a very nice description of, of part of what has happened to our people. So it's, sure. it's great that you, you, you mentioned that and I thank you for it. So, so now miigwech. But, you know, speaking of, uh, of music and medicine, what popped into my head was Derek Miller's song, Music is the Medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, just a little segue there, but not that we're going to play that song. However, it was interesting that you mentioned medicine, and then you said, yeah, and I took a job in radio. Not that you have a great voice for radio or anything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> where, where was that? Was on the, on the res? Did you guys have a res radio? By no, the way? it was in Winnipeg. It was a... Mainstream station under the NCI brand. Mm, you okay. Know? So not far off Dave from McLeod. Yeah, yeah, Dave McLeod was my boss for a number <laughs> of years. And I did the hip hop morning show oh, no. on the <laughs> sister station that was driven towards youth. And now that I think back to it, it was honestly the biggest hip hop presence in all of Canada because we would get music from all over Canada, yeah. people wanting to play. And there's yeah. not really that many avenues for true bars driven lyrical hip hop. You know, it's. They kind of fade into the R&B dance category. And, of course, that would make it easier for the listeners, too, to include those songs. And so it was a really great station. I really love working there. And uh, <laughs> I got to bring more of my, like, personality for comedy. I grew up such a fan of Patrick Wan, you know, Chris Farley. These are the oh, yeah? different things that play into my life <laughs> forever and ever. So there's different facets you can present. And that kind of just works with everybody who doesn't like comedy, who doesn't like 
you know, good, good music. True enough. And you know, it's, what's really interesting when you say that about the the um, success of the program that you were you had with this hip hop material doesn't surprise me, especially when you think across this nation uh, about if you have a successful indigenous radio station, the network, um, people are going to hear about, it, especially indigenous artists. There's there's so little places for our yeah. music to be played. For sure. So. Absolutely, you're going to get inundated with with all kinds of stuff. I could say the same for Six Nations, where the where well, you know, it's it's not a surprise that hip hop resonates so well with First Nations people. It's, it's kind of the music of the disenfranchised, mm-hmm. and you know, the yep. struggle with African American people yep. in the states is yep. very reflective and almost the same thing that Native people face here mm-hmm. all the time. You know, mm-hmm. there's ghettos of bigger cities full of Indigenous people. You know, yep. they joke that Winnipeg is the largest reserve in Canada. You know, yeah, and for sure. and for that reason, uh, we would have lots of local stuff coming in, and it was giving a platform for new people to like maybe get that little bit of spark that like, wow, I got my song on Element, I got my song on NCI, and mm-hmm. like that's just enough, you know, mm-hmm. to to keep pushing that to where you are finding your music on bigger stations and all that. You know, there was a time when I would have given anything, you know, and everything to mm-hmm. please NCI, please Dave McLeod, pay attention to my <laughs> song, and then you end up my boss, and now. You know, he, he's, he's been such a champion of, mm. of mine, and mm. I never thought, you know, that would happen. I hope that something like that would happen, yeah. but you can never predict it. Uh, we, uh, we were talking to, uh, to someone else on the show, and, you know, music is an industry, uh, and there is the side of it where you do have to be creating music and performing it, and people like yourselves that are, that are the singer-songwriters or the, the, the writers— uh, but it's a big industry, and there's room for all kinds of things. And there's the backside of it, the backside of it being the business side of it, the people that need to help you promote yourself, that need to help you get that material out, that they get need to get you uh, get your material out in front of people, get you on the road and touring, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a need for all of that as well. Um, are you finding that, uh, I mean, when you started, how would you say that has changed in terms of, being able to promote yourself or, or being able to uh, get your material, material out there as opposed to when you first started? Have you seen a difference? You know, when you start out, you're, uh, you're really championing, championing yourself, really, is what it's all about. And, uh, you know, don't be fooled by the way things are. Like, everything in, that's in place right now is because I've kind of acquired this dedicated staff. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. It's like, it takes a lot of manpower to do it. And so it's not really up to your Facebook friends to make a music career for you. It's not up to our families to Mm -hmm. go and vote for us in these contests and push our music. Because oftentimes those things have an agenda that I can tell you from watching parts of the industry and how things progress politically, like any politics, you know, it's carefully orchestrated in a sense to you know, a symbiotic relationship between advertising for a station, for a program, for a something else, and then, hey, you know, you'll get a spin out of it kind of thing. The truth is you got to just work on your song. You got to work on yourself because if you can become great enough that people won't ignore you, then they have no choice but to put you there. And that's kind of what's, uh, you know, humbly I say is I've just worked on my craft and my song so that I could kind of cut through those things because they can be really disheartening and like, singing shows and stuff like that can turn you back or say, oh, I guess I'm not destined for that because my voice is too unique or it's not this certain thing. That can be really damaging to a whole new generation of musicians and 
creativity and art in general. You know, that's kind of how I find it. But with all these things in their place, when you find the right team, you find the right people, I've seen genuine passion and like excitement for breaking a new artist, for putting a new song and having it become a part of the etchings of time where, you know, this can become something that defines a generation or, you know, people have hope for that. So don't be swayed either by it's all just money grubbing industry folks. You know, there's a place in time for all of that, for pop music, for, you know, things that generate spins. And I'll never be one of those looking into my Snapchat. Hey guys, this is what I'm doing today. And like, check out my stack of cash or anything. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm scheming so hard to get my son a backyard, a house and a yard. That's what I'm after in all this. I've mentioned that mm. many a time. Mm. And, um, you know, as far as industry goes, I've, I've been, you know, placed before people, like I say, who are passionate and dedicated to still holding on to real songs. People that buy CDs from that era mm. of where vinyl meant the world. Mm. People that spent their early years flipping through the credits, mm. finding the producers and writers yep. of these songs like I did, reading mm -hmm. the lyrics. Yep. A lot of the time, I've, I've been, I found myself working with those types. Glass Note Records in the state, passionate music people who don't take on, you know, the easiest projects and convince you otherwise that good songs still exist. You know, my partnership coming up with uh, Six Shooter here in Toronto, you know, another team dedicated to putting real music first. So industry has its place and it can have its effect. It's how much you let it seep into your life. And, right. you know, if your authenticity and spirit is real and resilient and you're here for the right reasons, I think you'll end up okay because I feel okay. I don't feel poisoned by anything or influenced by the things around me. I'm still just trying to write good songs. And that was William Prince and the Carnies on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and we are speaking with William Prince, Juno Award winner. It's a pleasure to have you in the studio with us, William. I thank you for taking the time to be here. Our pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. So I have to ask you this question. Uh, you said you you'd had a gig with, in radio, and you've got this great baritone. I'm wondering if you're thinking of doing any... Um, any um, um, you know those relaxing CDs that people can go to sleep to. With yeah. this. You've got this great baritone voice. It's rich. It's it just you know it can just lull you off to sleep at night if you want it to. Oh, you know uh, my publishing deal and everything kind of uh, places me in a position to work with the likes of you know Disney and DreamWorks and stuff. Ah. And voice acting has always been yeah. something I've wanted to try. I'd love right. to play some, you know lovable character that finds his way in for a few scenes of something, you know, or cartoons and everything. It'd be a trip for my son to watch one of those movies and have my voice be a part of it. So that's something that's always kind of ticking around in the back of my mind. Now, that doesn't surprise me at all to hear that. Um, you have this, uh, your voice, um, and I wasn't making light of you when I said that. I think animation is a great spot because animation is such a huge part of the industry these days. Oh, huge. Yeah, anything that really involves auditory capture and stuff yeah. has always been kind of cool to me. Um, you, you know, and you mentioned your son. Yeah. So how old is your son now? Uh, two and a half as of a couple of days ago. Very nice. Congratulations. Yeah, he's awesome. How has that <laughs> changed your life? Oh, it's started my life, you know, in, yeah. in a sense. You know, I do I, know. I do. I'm just standing around killing time while he does cool things and grows <laughs> up now, I think. Uh, all that other stuff is great, but really I like the uh, the life that my son and I are building together so far. You know, he does. I don't even think he really, 
he knows what I do. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're you're going singing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, people automatically assume, you know, like, does he just love your music? And is can you you can't wait for his first album, you know, and <laughs> all that. You know, my dad never put anything on me to do. Right. I'm just kind of letting him unfold and it's nice to be around innocence mm-hmm. genuine innocence oh, and sure. like and man you shake off your cool guard and you just kind of level with this little person it's good for the soul man it just kind of like relaxes all the tension in my body for you know keeping up with everything yeah you can't get more real than a child that's for oh, sure man they humble you so fast it's great <laughs> humility machine <laughs> their innocence and the things they come out with they they just say it like yeah, it is for sure uh are your parents both with you still uh, my father passed away about three years ago now, oh. Yeah, just before uh, my first record came out. Mm. And, uh, you know, like I said, he was instrumental in making it all happen. My mom's still uh, very alive and well, mm. one of the most, uh, the sweetest altruistic lady you'll ever meet. And, uh, you know, she's alive enough for both of them kind of thing. Mm. It's cool. Like, she doesn't get to see many shows, but when I come and play in Winnipeg and do things, she gets to be part of it. And she's always been my biggest fan. So it's nice to hear. So uh, I guess she's pretty excited about having a grandchild. Yes. Yeah. She's got a few. Um, uh, my sister just had another little boy. And, but before that we had two, two young girls in the family. They're, uh, about to be six and just turned seven. So, yeah, I've always had nephews and nieces though, yeah. half, half siblings and typical, you know, pretty big first nations family. And then yeah. in the way that goes. Now, how is, how is the success that you've had, how has that changed your life in terms of being, uh, uh, you know, a dad, a, a father, and and where do you spend a lot of your time? I mean, you, you must be touring a lot. You must be going on the road a lot. Yeah, I'm somewhat of a Monday to Thursday dad. Uh, you know, things venture off into the weekends. Uh, I always take the option to come home in between if there is. You know, I could program this a little better where you know, the three days or four days between the next stop, you know, could be spent just traveling, taking my time. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's selfish enough of me as is to take all this time to go play and do whatever I got to do for work. And, um, you know, it's nothing but pure joy. I'm not suffering other than missing him when I'm away. And neither is he. Mm -hmm. He's very loved. I've have Mm -hmm. to, I've learned now to relax in that that he's loved by his mom he has an incredible mother who Mm. takes the best care and is very understanding of my schedule and he has grandparents on both sides that care for him i think that's enough of a victory that you don't have to feel like an absent father Mm. i'm gonna forgive Mm. myself for that because this in the long run of things is for him Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. empire i call it you know trying to build that to leave something and if not leave something just give him somewhat of a better leg up start you know, we talk about privilege often, but mm-hmm. I think my son will grow up somewhat privileged. Mm-hmm. But fortunate. I mean, uh, being, you're yeah. fortunate to be able to, to pass that along as well. Teach him the things, though, that go with that. The of responsibility course. that comes Absolutely. with sharing and helping those and being aware of people more vulnerable and less fortunate you are. Because uh, for the longest time I was on that side, still am. You know, I'm only ever a few thousand dollars away from starting over, like most people, you know, and... This is still very much in the ascending phase of mm-hmm. things. You mm-hmm. know, Breathless is not my best song. My best song is yet to be written. Mm-hmm. My songs are coming still mm-hmm. in a place that will hopefully make this a career and not just something to pay attention to online for a while. And that was Breathless on Element FM.
And William Prince is in the studio. He's a Juno Award winner. William, it's great having you here. Great song. Beautiful song. Thank you. Wonderful voice uh, and tonality and production. I'll keep going. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I have a hard time with that sometimes. That's my favorite joke when I Mm. see people. But no, I appreciate all that attention. You know, my voice was one of the things I was most insecure about when I started off trying to do music. You know, I thought maybe my register didn't belong Mm. in these places. I fought it for a long time. Mm. Ultimately, you just have to give in to what's given to you. And that was my dad and grandfather, you know, this family voice, I guess, that's here. And, you know, the fact that people make fuss over it uh, still makes me tilt my head away sometimes. (laughs) You know, as you're talking, and I was thinking about this earlier when when I was talking about your voice, there's a, a groundedness to it. I think that's the word that comes to mind. There's a groundedness to your voice that when you hear it, it just pulls you right in. And, you know, it's like I said, it's a natural gift, but uh, it's a it's it's a nice gift to have been given. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, just from a life of being humbled over and over again. You know, there was a fair amount of struggle in getting through things, you mm. know, and the only way to talk about the things I've loved and lost is through that, mm. you know, to work it through to the end and have it delivered. My friend Scott Nolan, you know, I owe so much to him as a mm. songwriter and right performer and person who delivers and himself has a peculiar voice Mm. on the other spectrum Mm. of things you know it's just about it ain't the singer it's the song Mm. and the more you can deliver that i think that's just what's cutting through i just happen to use this vehicle so so speaking of that that partnership and the relationship in terms of songwriting uh how how has that been for you in terms of uh has that been a uh, uh, a struggle or has that been a just a natural progression of of being able to bring your music out as a songwriter myself you know like I, i'm i'm not much of a collaborator to be honest okay it's too many hands on the steering wheel mm-hmm. at, at most points and the <laughs> thing is i'm fortunate that i'm in a place right now where they're still presenting themselves to me you know in a way I'm always actively kind of writing, taking in moments. Even this thing we're doing now mm-hmm. will end up mm-hmm. some perspective later, mm-hmm. and then that turns into whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was describing to a friend that finding songs is like catching a fish in a river with your bare hands. You know, you gotta almost get super still and wait for it, and then you hopefully grab onto something and feed yourself with it, and and carry on that way. So. Uh, Presenting the songs now is there's a little more confidence, you know, that I've been using this idea of that the first time around was like, I hope nobody minds that I'm making this album, that I'm putting songs on tape and like, maybe they'll like them. That's what you hope for. You know, it's not, a, it's not a ploy or anything. It's just really genuine insecurity with mm-hmm. what my songs were. I was singing sure. in my apartment quietly for right. years, right. coffee shops, you know, doing right these minor art installations that would last for a moment and then go away. And then now it's time to put it on tape and set the starting point for people to forever evaluate you, whether you're growing or deteriorating from the thing you initially presented. And so that was kind of on my mind, you know, caring about what people are going to think. Mm -hmm. So that can kind of, you know, weigh on you in a way. Mm -hmm. And then for the reaction to happen for this record, earthly days to get, three years of life and re-released, remastered new artwork, you know, mm-hmm. people in the UK and the States just discovering it now and making a big deal of it, you know, for every, um, 
record that goes unnoticed in the independent world, like I have to believe that that's a victory because my friends have told me it is, you know, association to it, just my friends in the world who are still playing music, like, man, I'm so close to that. That can happen for me, you know? And that's the thing. We're all like this team making it mm. individually. The folk mm. community is really loving in that regard too. But, you know, I guess if anything, I'm finally accepting my songs the way they sound when they go into the iPhone for the first time and that one mm-hmm. day could be a real recording. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you know, I'm just thinking as you're talking and mentioning these things, I, I think about how this, this opportunity uh, of your music and your success has, has opened up other doors for you to, to work with other artists, artists, Buffy St. Marie, Neil Young. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, you know, Buffy's the best. She's like, <laughs> she calls me, uh, her big brother, you know, and it's so cool <laughs> that we spend so much time together. And like, uh, she always asks about my son. She's so genuine and real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've learned so much from watching her yeah. and the power in her presentation each time. And then, uh, kind of feeling again to the effect of that. Why are I think my, I don't know where my songs belong. And you think of Neil's music, like, it's the same way. Like when you really dive into who Neil Young is as an artist, it's way more than keep on rocking in the free world, which forever was my judgment of what he was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, not understanding unique voices and Mm. deep writing at the time, you know, it took me, it's like Seinfeld, you know, when you're a kid, it's kind of lost on you. And then you grow up and then you learn that, wow, this is, really excellent music this is thought-provoking and mm-hmm. genuine and pure this is great and so that in itself seeing him up close for the first time 20 feet away and watching him do this quiet show that forces people to listen just kind of you know backs what i'm trying to do you mm. know mm. now um a little a little voice told me um that you were talking about singing in your apartment quietly little voice told me that you might have spent some time in China singing in karaoke bars. Yes. Well, uh, part of China was a healing trip. You know, I was going through a tough time. The first woman that I ever lived with and I split and it was Mm. not a healthy relationship. And this is not my siren song forever. It just, you know, that was the first significant one. Mm. And um, my my buddy just saw me kind of hurting said come over to china find yourself again stand up straight again you know and it was originally to substitute teach at his school that has a university of manitoba curriculum for the private school clifford international school over there that's an elite place to be okay, you know yeah. you want your kids to have the best especially over there with money and so you could go in sub for a day make some decent decent cash live like a king off it because mm. you know it's just so easy when you have canadian u.s money over there mm. And I was hoping to get a weekend gig playing songs. Okay. Uh, he happened to know the managers. We went in there, played one or two open mics, and then I got a six nights a week gig. And then that's all I did. Didn't mm. even substitute teach. And it gave me 71 performances in 110 days to work on my songs in one set and then to play these Western pop songs that I would acoustify and mm. chill out and mm. because the English barrier is then bridged right. with popular music. So. Right. Adele and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry, that's how we communicate in that moment was through popular cool. Western music. Yeah, neat. Yet another uh, endorsement of music sure, and how yeah. it can be used. That's right. So it works everywhere. <laughs> apparently it does. Um, so I, I had another question. And this, when I first met you and heard your name, I thought about this. 
And um, I'm just wondering if you're related to the late Tommy Prince. Yeah, Sergeant Tommy. Yeah. He's always part of our family and legacy. Kind of breaks off because, you know, reflecting back on the whole Chief Pegwis thing, there was a point in time where Chief Pegwis, the founder of the reserve, had seven wives. And when he met the queen and kind of adopted Christianity, that practice was put away and he stayed with one wife, which happened to be my grandmother, mm. great-great-grandmother. And then, so the other six all had children. Tommy's part of that oh. collection, you know, mm. of things. And that's where the name Prince actually comes from is because she... Chief Pegg was asked Queen Victoria, you know, what do you call your sons? And it's like, my sons are princes. And then dubbed King of the Indians, naturally said, my son, you know, William King, Chief Pegg was his English name, eventually turned to all his sons being princes. So the bloodline for the first 70 years is all prince blood mm. to where democracy was placed because should one of the sons not be fit to lead in the future, a democracy should prevail amongst the people on the reserve so that fair and right leadership will come into play. And thank you for that history lesson. Yeah. So the other thing, though, if we can go back to Tommy for a minute, what did you hear about him growing up? What was the legacy that you heard about? Well, it's funny. I have a, I have a song that I've written for him that I'm waiting to debut uh, someday. Great. It's tucked away. It's a personal okay. thing yep. till then, till yep. I'm ready. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was always regarded as a hero. There's yeah. a statue in the yeah, park. Yeah and all that stuff, but, you know, the truth and the sad reality of it is even at that time, being a First Nations person decorated by the army and a mm-hmm. national hero and stuff, mm-hmm. still died of alcoholism, yep. drinking himself to death, yep. pawning his medals yeah. just to survive in those old rough Winnipeg hotels that I would never set foot in. Yeah. You know, my dad was alive in his time and knew mm-hmm. him and saw him, and it's so funny. I played the show for Indigenous Day Live at the mm-hmm. Scotiabank stage in the Forks of Winnipeg, televised on APTN across yep. Canada. And who opens the gate for me to walk to the stage? Tommy Prince Jr., his son. Mm. First time I'd ever met him. Mm. What a contrast, you know, from a war hero's son yeah. holding the gate yeah. to me, some kid from Peguis, you know, mm. walking on this mm. stage where all the attention's put on you for a moment. And yeah. like, what a giant contrast between celebrating one's life and you know and i admired him i wanted to talk to him before this thing kicked off you know that was something you're a part of real canadian history there and so sergeant tommy prince you know affectionately known as uncle tommy you know Mm -hmm. uh was always a big part of my life and that's one of the first questions that's get gets asked and i'm glad that there's you know two princes in connection that are you know worth talking about and he and his era was a great step forward too and unfortunately, the way he passed is kind of the struggle that a lot of people still deal with. It's true. Uh, I think also, though, uh, even though he had those struggles and he had those those problems, I think to some degree it's still a reflection on on what Canada did to Indigenous people. Of course. And I think, and it doesn't take anything away from his and on the things that he did during the war to help this country. Yeah. He still did amazing things. But you can't set up a war hero with an apartment or somewhere safe to live, or, (laughs) you know, like you still pawn pawn your medal to feed yourself. Everything, you know, like, God, what hope do you have when you're not noteworthy? You know, that's the struggle. Good point, exactly. And it's just like, that's who I'm hoping I'm quietly inching forward for is mainly the youth from my community. You know, I don't think they really care about my music because it's, you know, the the generation of hip hop and you're young and mm-hmm. everything. But maybe a percentage of them one day will, you know, find their way to like, oh, man, that guy is like 
from my reserve. Right. Whole man is an official term from Pegasus, <laughs> by the way. So my my First Nations uh, reserve stuff is coming out now. We better end this pretty soon. <laughs> so, so listen. Um, you just made a good point about about the music industry itself, the change, how it's changing, and 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 the music that people are listening to. How do you? What do you see for yourself into the future? What do you see for for you as you as you go down the road to, uh, you know, greater success or and more music coming out? Uh, that's just the thing. Just more opportunities to collect songs and record them and stuff. You know, um, I, I was conceptualizing this idea that I don't know if I'll ever be hit music. That's such an odd term. Mm. The term hit. You know, that's mm. why we're so beat up and deafened out here because we're so used to getting hit all the time by all these same songs. Mm-hmm. And it's like. I wish all the radio people would join together and be like, look, we're going to break out the mold and it's okay to be four minutes long if the meaning is there and it's okay that, because yeah. that's the stuff that's going to heal people. Yeah. My friend Mary Gaucher talks about the sad song, Save More Lives, than the Tonight's the Night, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm I'm hoping to exist in a world that there's still a place for me and a career and mortgage paid by just doing exactly what I'm doing because mm-hmm. I have no intention of changing really. Uh, in in that sense, I think I'll always write these somewhat melancholy, hopeful, you know, get you down or pick you up kind of tunes, whatever it is, whatever it's going to be. I just want it to be authentic and real and reflective of what I'm living through. So longevity is what you hope for, not a spike in anything, but natural growth and adding to this mountain around me, whether it be the people and the songs or my family or more children, uh, it's just, I pray for comfort for a long time. Mm. Well, I think that you just touched on something that's, that's interesting to, to say, and that is that in this world of, of, uh, of radio that you were just talking about, heaven forbid we have, you know, two seconds of silence, you know, uh, but I think that your music and your style of presentation of that music is in many ways a voice of calm in this in this uh, world, relief, and uh, and I relief, thank you. You know that's what songs have been described mm. to me as like your songs mm. relieve me, and that's what they've always done for me. Right. It's helped me work through depression, anxiety, all these struggles, and you know mm. uh, now on the other side of things where it's like there are a number of gigs and stuff. It just comes and presents its own set of problems. Mm. I promise you, anyone listening. The greatest root of our unhappiness, I read, is envisioning ourselves in a place where we are not right now. Mm. I'll be happy when my house is there. I'll be happy when I have this car. I'll be happy when my business is finally running and I can sit back. But, like, that's not the way to be present. Yeah. And that's just taking away from your present happiness and stuff. So, for a long time, I was living like that. I can take all this stuff, all this suffrage, all this misfortune, because when I get there, it's going to be better. When I'm gigging and opening for some big star and doing radio interviews, I'm going to be happy. Truth is, I'm not all the way happy yet. I'm still working on it every day, all the time. My son gets me there. My son tops me up. So I promise you, you know, be present where you are right now. And I hope to continue doing this because this feels pretty good. There you go. William Prince, musician and philosophist as well <laughs> all wrapped into one <laughs> William I thank you for that they're great thank words you. to hear they're thank great for, for other me. people to hear as well in terms of uh, whether it be this industry or, or any other industry or voice over work. pardon me voice over I might be working Vo- here by the end of it you <laughs> never know keep a place for me something <laughs> that, hey we'll always have a place for you no worries about that listen I wish you all the best in the future and congratulations on all your success so far thank you and 
I guess the other thing is you mentioned responsibility. And that responsibility you're talking about is, is twofold. One is an artist and one is a, as, as someone representing Indigenous people as well. Yeah. You know, I used to feel a bit of fight in that too because of that. You know, uh, not wanting to be a First Nations singer or a First Nations songwriter. I just always wanted to be an artist. I always wanted to be a singer-songwriter. I always wanted to be someone who made that. And if people explore that on their own after, wow, he's a... You know, uh, a native guy wrote that song, yeah. you know, or yeah. like uh, a brother, you know, I, yeah. I think of all the people that inspire around me, the Isquays and the Tanya Tagax mm-hmm. and the Jerry Cans and mm-hmm. the Richard Inmans. And we're all making our way, cutting our path and everything. We're doing it together and more and more showing up. Jeremy Dutcher said it's the indigenous revolution happening right now. And I don't feel shame in that. I don't, I love talking about coming from a reserve and that, you know, this person who speaks to you today is who I am, not some situation, not some place that you might have a false interpretation of, I am this person today. And that happens to be First Nations. I'm proud of it. Well said. Thank you, and thanks for being on the show. We're going to end with uh, You Got Me. Yeah, a song for my mom and dad. Oh, yeah. Oh, young lovers, young folks at one point. Nice. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there. Again, thank you for coming in. Miigwech, for having Iwanishi, me. and all the best in the future. And we look forward to hearing more from you. We look forward also to having you back on the show at some point. New songs coming. All right.